The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to episode 377 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. Our topic today is Protecting Privacy of Patients, Patients Canada Perspectives. Now, back to 2004, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation TV program Marketplace broadcast the story, Mining Your Business, Targeting New Parents. It was actually about abuse of privacy of mothers of newborns by a company selling registered education savings plans. And the story, I must honestly admit, takes me back to my time as an intern at one of Britain's leading obstetrics hospitals. I remember one mom from another country telling me that after 10 pregnancies, she still had no live baby. That's why I've come to your hospital, she said. She trusted us. So the idea that the privacy of moms in hospitals could be abused troubles me. Now, still in 2004, Ontario enacted the Personal Health Information Protection Act. This defines personal health information as information that relates to an individual's physical or mental health and health care, which identifies the individual and which includes the health history of the individual's family. Now, let's fast forward 10, 10 years to 2014. On August 27th, the Toronto Star, an activist newspaper, prominent newspaper in Canada, reported that at an Ontario hospital, breaches of personal health information had affected 14,450 patients, including mothers of newborns. Two days later, the same newspaper reported that as far back as 2009, six prominent Ontario hospitals inappropriately gave up personal health information of tens of thousands of new mothers. The new mothers who trusted the hospitals were patients, and also they were family caregivers for the newborns in their arms. Now, in February 2015, the story has led to strong responses by governments, strong calls for major improvements in the protection of privacy, and strong public concern, which is why our topic, Protecting Privacy of Patients, Patients Canada Perspectives, is so important for family caregivers and their family members. To discuss it, our guest is Emily Nicholas. Emily has for five years helped Patients Canada, the organization, to bring the patient voice to all levels of healthcare 
by drawing on her own experience as a patient, as well as her lifelong interest in medicine and public health. She's been on boards of directors and numerous committees. She's spoken at conferences, been in discussions with the Ontario Ministry of Health and Public Health Ontario. And she's she's worked with federal organizations such as the Health Council of Canada and the Canadian Institute of Health Information. Now, alongside her work with Patients Canada, she's been a research assistant in the Department of Family and Community Medicine at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto. And that's where she's currently working with Dr. Mike Evans and the Pivot Design Group. So welcome to the show, Emily. Hi, Gordon. Glad to be here. Great. Very welcome. Now, first question for you. Please tell us more about your life, your career, and any experience you have of family caregiving. Emily? Yeah, okay. I, um, I'm going to delve right into sort of the patient part because I am here speaking with a, a patient perspective, I think. As I, um, I sort of had my patient journey begin when I was uh, about 20 years old, previous to which I hadn't had much experience with the healthcare system. And um, I actually had a stress fracture in my um, hip that went undiagnosed or misdiagnosed, I should say. Um, and it was misdiagnosed for long enough that it... Uh, became an actual fracture and my hip uh, broke. I had subsequently four surgeries, so two of which were to sort of try to pin the hip and um, and then two after that when the hip bone actually died. All of this spanned about 10 years, um, during which time I actually was trying to plug along at school. Um, so as uh, you mentioned in my bio, I've always been interested in medicine and health, and I had wanted to be a doctor, actually, initially. And, and uh, during my sort of medical science uh, undergraduate degree, during the time I was also a patient, as I was mentioning, with having all these surgeries, and I became really interested in the actual healthcare system and the way it was working, the way it worked for me or didn't work, um, and and uh, kind of the intricacies um, of, of being a patient and what that was like. And through that, I found out about, or through my interest and my reading, I found out about Patients Canada, which was a group that um, was looking to bring the voice of patients into healthcare. And I was really interested in, in the logic behind this, why it made sense to actually have patients not only involved in their own care, because we talk about patient engagement in that sense, but involved in the actual design of healthcare and, and policies and legislation, as you said, all levels of healthcare. Um, so that kind of brought me to Patients Canada and through my work there, as well as um, through some other connections that I made. I've, I've come to work within the healthcare um, field, but as sort of a specialist within patient engagement and in, um, and in patient voice uh, being included in healthcare. Emily, that now takes us to very neatly to the next question. Mm -hmm. Please tell us about the work of Patients Canada. What does Patients Canada do? Emily? Well, Patients Canada is, um, as I said, our mandate is to bring help bring the patient voice to all levels of healthcare. Now, that's a bit um, uh, sort of vague, I think, sometimes for people and what it means. But basically, we're trying to integrate patients amongst um, the people who make healthcare decisions, trying to be work collaboratively with policymakers, with 
um, you know, hospital administration, doctors, everybody who are making healthcare decisions to to look at um, basically what's important and what can be changed in healthcare to make the patient experience better. Um, so our, we, we focus on not so much advocacy, but on, like I said, working collaboratively with uh, the healthcare system based on the logic that healthcare has changed a lot. Um, from being really focused on acute care or, or, or you know, fixing and, and curing to patients having very, you know, chronic conditions or multiple chronic conditions where they need to be involved in their health care in a much more significant way, not to mention their families. So I should clarify, when I say patients, at Patients Canada, we include actually in that group the, the people who are with patients at all times, their caregivers, loved ones that are really there usually making a lot of decisions with them. So that all these people should be integrated into the design of healthcare so that it can best serve them, the people that are going to use it and the people that need to um, engage with it. Right. Now, I'm going to ask you now, tell us more, please, Emily, about your work with Patients Canada. What do Mm -hmm. you do? Um, so since the, my work started with them, I've pretty much done everything that's possible to do with Patients Canada. So I started as a volunteer where I would actually go to attend conferences, to be a sort of patient voice at conferences. I would go to open meetings where patients would come and share their stories, and we would look at proactive ways that, you know, things could have been changed to make our stories better. And so I started at that level. And then progressively, I ended up sitting um, on the board, on the board of directors, and then finally sort of stepped down so that I could do some more active work looking at our strategies and um, also doing speaking engagements, Um, so speaking at events about the importance of of patient partnership and involving patients in the design of healthcare. Um, And now, to the extent that we're looking to do much more research into how should patients, um, how how best patients can partner in both the research areas of of the healthcare system as well as strategy, policy, and all of those um, all those different aspects. So, it's um, it's been very broad what I've been doing. One of the things I like doing, you know, the most though, is being involved with working groups or you know panel discussions with all different sorts of healthcare leaders and stakeholders, where we discuss from different perspectives what's important and what we need to do to improve healthcare. So, you know, we're starting to really get out there and have our voices heard in uh, in big important discussions. Give us an example, Emily, of the kind of big and sure. important discussions you get involved with. Emily. Okay, sure. Um, so, for instance, we have been involved in uh, having patients, and, and I would be one of these patients, looking at what's important in primary care um, performance measures. So instead of just looking at what would make primary care or what can we um, use to determine whether primary care was successful or not or provided a good patient experience, um, we've worked with a group, Hi Hi, it's called, and we won't We'll try to steer clear of the acronym, so the Canadian Institute of Health Information, um, and looking at what they were measuring to uh, assess whether primary care was, you know, successful, and looking at whether patients were satisfied. And we looked at what the measures were, and we looked from a patient perspective and said, you know, we don't even talk about caregivers here. How are they involving caregivers, or are we considering caregivers? Um, what is important for patients? From our experience as patients, what would be, um, how could we tell if our primary care experience was successful? And then that gets included into what's actually being measured 
by the healthcare system. Um, another uh, brief example will be um, I worked with a group of patients over uh, some time looking at whether it's um, how patients feel about having their information, so this ties into what we're talking about today, their private information, health information, used in research. So perhaps they've removed all the identifying factors, but how do you feel about your information um, about your health being used in research, and does it matter who's using it for the research, whether it's a university or whether it's the government or, or a pharmaceutical company? So giving our voice to that so that people can start to look at making policies and legislation around that. Now, I'm just going to ask you a very quick question, and that is, mm -hmm. when you've had this discussion, who do you make the case to? You didn't use the word advocacy, I think, but who do you actually mm -hmm. want to get the message through to? Just very quickly. Yes, um, I would say it's very dependent on the situation. Ideally, <laughs> the people who are decision makers. So ideally, I would say the top of the food chain in healthcare, the policymakers or the heads of the hospital that can actually instigate the changes. Right. That, that's very good. Because they're the people that are in a position to make changes, aren't they? And so therefore, you're, right. you're not just, I'm not being rude when I say this, you're not just no. talking, you're actually developing something which an audience such as you've described, that is the decision makers, should take account of, need to take account of, because it's something important. So that, that's great work. Now, talking of great work, we, we've come to mm -hmm. the end of this particular segment. It's time for us to take a short break. And this is where I always say, this is where we have to pay the rent. So we'll do that <laughs> now. This is Dr. Gordon Asley, and my guest is Emily Nicholas. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Museums are great places to work and wonderful places to visit. But are they essential? How can we improve our museum practice so that museums remain vital and essential players in society? Listen for Museum Life with host Carol Bossert, where each week we'll discuss timely and topical issues of concern to the museum community. Museum Life can be heard live every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Do you need directions to solve financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. 
You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Emily Nicholas. Our topic is Protecting Privacy of Patients, Patients Canada Perspectives. Emily, now let's talk about the challenges that patients' privacy creates for hospitals, legislators, and patients themselves. So, first question, Emily, what do you see as the most challenging of the challenges for hospitals in protecting their patients' privacy? Emily? Um, I think it's a really interesting question, and especially for me, coming from a group who feels very strongly that patients should have their own voice when they are speaking about um, something which affects them, they should we should include the patient perspective. So when asked to sort of um, assume a different perspective, in this case the hospitals, I just um, I just sort of want to say that I'm coming at this from a patient. So this is what I've experienced um, from being in hospitals, what I've read that I will be speaking, and I think what I would most like to hear is have the hospital's voice at the table, the legislator's voice and the patient so that we can all hear each other's because I think nobody knows um, the perspective better than the person who's living it. So just just to start with that, but um, based on, you know, my experience, even being in the hospital and also working with Patients Canada, I think there's um, a couple of key things that are really challenging right now. One of them is the movement towards uh, a much more integrated care. Um, As I mentioned before, you know, we're moving towards care, which is focusing on people who have chronic diseases or comorbidities, and we're looking at involving families and the community. And due to this, we are needing to pass information and, and data and, uh, and stories all through a, uh, what they usually call like either a community of care or the circle of care. And I think this creates an issue because it's harder to, you know, we have to really focus on how are we going to keep that issue private or those that, that information private, who has access to it and who has the right to see what. And, um, and also, how are we going to balance the really positive effect of sharing information in those situations with the need to be very cautious in terms of having any sort of breaches or leaks or, or mistakes happen. So I think that's one of the key things is this movement to an expanded group of people who are sharing the information. And the second really key one, I think, is that tied in, which is that we're moving into having the use of much broader electronic systems, IT, um, obviously moving towards one day, we keep our fingers crossed, electronic records and integrated records, right? So we've got these clouds of data and we're sharing things in a different way than we were when everything got kept in locked files. And that creates a myriad of different issues, I think, that hospitals are going to have to face. And I do not envy those who have to figure out, you know, how, um, how to keep everything proper properly contained and and yet share at the same time what's necessary. And if I could just add one more, which I think is perhaps not what hospitals um, sort of see as their challenge, which was maybe the first two, I would assume. But one of the challenges I think that hospitals have is they sometimes don't have a very good understanding of what privacy actually means to patients. Um, and, and by that, I mean like almost a definition of privacy, because I think we focus a lot and hospitals focus a lot on the actual data. So, you know, my, let's say, uh, pharmaceutical records or the fact that I had a certain surgery, and that is what's considered my health information. But I think we sometimes miss out on the other privacy 
aspects of being a patient, which is just being in the hospital. You know, I've been in hospitals where, you know, you're sitting in a hallway and someone kind of consults with you in a hallway and there's people all around or you're in the emergency room and people are kind of listening beside you. And those, to me, were the things which had a profound impact on how I felt about you know, whether I was, whether I was being a little bit exposed as it were, not to mention exposed by my hospital gown, you know? So I think we sometimes, we sometimes define privacy in a very strict way when we're talking about, you know, what hospitals are concerned about. When you talk to patients about what they're concerned about with their privacy and what the issues are, I think sometimes they might define what they feel about privacy a little bit differently. So so perhaps, but I still think that's a main challenge for the hospital, um, right. and maybe the ch- challenge is to learn better what patients want. <laughs> um, right. Yes. Now I'm just going to stop you only because of the what I call the tyranny of time, because I have another question for you. The most challenging of the challenges for legislators in mm-hmm. advancing legislation to protect patients' privacy. What do you see as the most challenging, Emily? And again, from my patient perspective, I would say that one of the challenges I see or the challenges I see are very similar to what the hospitals are facing, Um, although perhaps they are having to consider the fact that they're going to look at a very diverse set of healthcare environments. So the legislator may have to be writing policy, which is going to encompass whether it's a hospital, whether it's a family health team, you know, whether it's um, an individual doctor, how are we going to have privacy legislation that suits all of those aspects at once? So really looking at balancing the benefits of having more open data, which I think is a wonderful thing for the development of, of really um, of, of personalized health care and of integrated health care, which is having more access to data and more availability um, to more people in the team to balance that with obviously issues of, um, of increased sharing and the possibility that it gets into the wrong hands and, and how that data is shared, whether, you know, certain information's uh, removed or not. So I think, again, it's that finding that balance between the the benefits of having the more open data and the more shared data with the actual issues of privacy. Um, and I think one of the problems is, is we tend to, or not we, but, but healthcare has tended to use the issue of privacy as a I think a bit reflexively as an argument against more transparency or more availability of, of patients or of records to patients, of access for patients to be able to see, let's say, their lab results and, and certain things. I mean, I can do all my banking online and I can easily access a lot of my own information, but not in-house. And I think we often use the privacy argument to suggest that, you know, we can't do it because, you know, this is private information and, and we can't risk it. And I think that's unfortunate. I think there's a lot we could do um, safely and that patients actually would be willing to sort of risk certain aspects of, of those things or, 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 or under, if they understood them so that they could have better access. Um, right. So it, yeah. Now, let me go straight because you mentioned patients. I'm going mm. to ask you the third question, which is, What do you see as the most challenging of the challenges for patients in protecting their own privacy? Emily? So I think this is, for me, obviously one of the most interesting ones and one that I really have thought about as a patient because I think um, it's one of the big challenges is the differences in how you feel about your privacy and your concerns about your privacy based on where you are in your care. So I think... One of the main issues is that your your want to keep all your information private can be um, 
a lot less when you're in under dire straits or there's an acute situation or an emergency. I think if I was in an emergency situation, I'd be happy to fling my information or myself or whoever, you know, into whoever would, would be able to, to fix me or help me. And under certain situations, what patients want is quite different than sometimes later on in their care where they say, oh, what do you mean you shared that information with my dietitian or whatever? Um, that That's not what I wanted at all. And I think that kind of... Um, flexibility or fluidity was probably a better word in what patients want and how they feel about their privacy is difficult. Um, and this sort of probably would create a challenge as well for the hospitals and legislators. And I think um, one of the other big challenges for patients is really understanding what their rights are when it comes to privacy or what, what um, the actual rules are around privacy. So based on my own, you know, patient experience, I don't remember ever being you know, told or, or getting an understanding of what my rights were as to, you know, if a breach happened or, or if I felt like my privacy was being, um, if I was feeling vulnerable about my privacy, what I would do in that situation. And if you even go online very briefly, um, I mean, I know a bit based on working in healthcare, but also even just as a patient looking online, I think you don't actually find a lot for patients about privacy and what it um, the legislation is and what your rights are and, and what to do if something happens, um, what you can expect. And I think that's too bad because I think the more patients would understand their own privacy, actually the less fearful they would be about something happening. So the more you understand that there's certain um, safeguards put in place or that if something did happen, here are the protocols for what would be done, that you don't look at um, the healthcare system with distrust or fear worrying that, you know, what if someone did breach a reading in the Toronto Star, as you mentioned, oh my goodness, look what's happening. And I, I'm not even aware of this. And, and so I think having an understanding in, uh, of what is, uh, what their rights are and what privacy legislation is in their province uh, is, you know, it's challenging because we don't really have a lot of access to that or it's not communicated very well. Is that something that you would see um, the Patients Association um, do something about, that is to say, encourage hospitals to produce some kind of explanation for patients uh, to make sure that everybody who was, who was involved with the hospital, to the degree that they need to be, would understand the way in which these things you've been talking about would be dealt with. What do you think? Absolutely. I think that's a, a great one. And I think what we would want to do is us not just to come in and tell people what it should be, but what we, we would like to do is work collaboratively with people who have a great understanding of these issues, um, you know, because I'm not a policy um, maker. I'm not a legislator. I don't work in a hospital, so I don't know their perspective. But having those perspectives together to come up with what's the best way to communicate this to patients? How can we make this better available to patients? Also, there's benefit to having really good protocol in place for if something happens, how can we learn from that? So I think sometimes we don't take enough um, uh, advantage of when things do go wrong. Having patients and people come together and look at what went wrong and see how we can learn from that experience. And the more patients feel that they can be involved in that process, I think the better the, um, the sort of learnings can be. Um, and so we've actually, one of the things we have done at Patients Canada is looked a bit at the complaints mechanisms across Canada and how different they are and how, you know, we don't really have best practices and how little is known once a complaint is made about what happens after, except in certain cases. 
you know, so I think having more involvement of the patients or helping patients make their complaints or compliments very um, uh, systematically and, and also having them uh, engage in that process, I think could be really beneficial for all levels of healthcare. I'm just going to make a quick, very quick comment back to you because I think you, you made a very, very important point, and that is how we feel about privacy depends on how we feel. That is to say, if we're patients and we feel very sick or very ill or, or very mm-hmm. much uh, under the weather, so to speak, then mm-hmm. we want everybody who could be useful to us to know. <laughs> on the other hand, we're in a recovery situation, we may be choosier about what people know about us, especially if we've got some kind of condition which people might look down their noses at. You know what I mean? There's a sort of, particularly with things to do with mental health, there may be stigmatizations and that kind of thing. So I think you've put your finger, if I may say that, on a profoundly important point and understanding that patients' needs for privacy will vary in the according to their health condition and their circumstances. Now, on that point, I would have loved to have given you a moment to come back to me on that, but we have to take the break, so we'll do that now. Um, This is Dr. Gordon Atherley. My guest is Emily Nicholas. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We will be back. Ah, a nice glass of wine is very refreshing after the end of a long day. But have you ever considered the story behind the wine? Tune in to Bacchus and Beery Wine Radio with your hosts, Roger and Donna Beery. You'll meet some of the people behind the world's wineries, travel the wine country, and learn more about that glass that you're enjoying. Roger and Donna will also give would-be vintners a behind-the-scenes look at starting a winery. Bacchus and Beery Wine Radio airs live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Variety. Tune in Tuesdays and join the credit master and consumer advocate, Mr. D, a.k.a. Bruce J. Danielson, and learn the whole truth about credit risk scoring, collectors, both kinds, credit bureaus, credit cards, tax liens, mortgages, and much more. Find out how to use accountability combat to protect yourself from becoming a victim and to fight back against corporate abusers, such as banksters who have taken unfair advantage of most of us. The Consumer Fightback Show educates consumers on how to find relief within today's onerous credit system. See you Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Want to help make our world a better place, but not sure where to start? Tune into Better Worldians Radio with the creators of the social game on Facebook called A Better World. Join hosts Ray, Mary Sue, and Gregory Hansel, who will inspire you to make a big difference in small ways. They'll speak to experts, authors, volunteers, and everyday people who are changing the world daily. Better Worldians Radio is heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. 
If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Emily Nicholas. Our topic is Protecting Privacy of Patients, Patients Canada Perspectives. Emily, now let's talk about ways for overcoming the challenges that patients' privacy creates for the various major players. First off, what ways do you see for overcoming the challenges for hospitals in protecting their patients' privacy? How do you overcome those challenges? Emily? Um, I think I um, I have a bit of a, a bias, perhaps, because of my work with Patients Canada, but I think the real key thing is to integrate the perspectives um, in the development of, of, of uh, facing these challenges or in, in facing these challenges. So to really understand what is important to patients when it comes to privacy, to also not use privacy as a sort of, as I mentioned before, an excuse to, to uh, hold back from progressing with making information available to patients, but instead doing it in a way which engages the patients, involves them, and gives them a clear understanding of what their rights and the uh, privacy regulations are. Um, and again, that, that better communication of what they are um, uh, developing in their privacy policies or, or what is important to uh, consider as a patient, better communicating that to patients within when they are in the hospital, when um, giving them uh, sites that they can look at and also engaging their families in the understanding of this so that they're clear on where the information goes and, and, and what um, what is their, what their rights are. So then also really clearly uh, giving information about what to do if there is a privacy issue and to communicate to patients what will be done if there is a privacy issue, because I think that builds a lot of trust. If you know that if something happens, you know, there are always risks, there's never going to be a perfectly airtight system, that if there is a breach, this is exactly the protocol that we will go through, and this is how you will be informed about what is um, happening. And I think by sort of keeping the, the patient voice within it and keeping the patient perspective within it, they can overcome some of the challenges because they focus by focusing on sort of the, the most important aspects. Right. Next question. What ways do you see for overcoming the challenges for legislators in advancing legislation to protect patients' privacy? Emily? Um, and so to be a bit repetitive, I think, again, it's maybe more involvement of various stakeholders in the creation of legislation. So right now, I think a lot of the time policies get made and there's maybe post hoc sort of or after the fact. They try to get input on it, but really starting by working with a different group of stakeholders um, from the beginning. So in the creation of some of the first uh, key parts of the legislation. So I think also probably, you know, and this is me not having an experience as a legislator, but, you know, focusing on some of the low hanging fruit, I guess they call it, you know, the things which there's probably a lot of good policies um, which we can enforce better or maybe um, or maybe highlight, which uh, if we were following more closely or which um, if, if we had uh, more clear communication of them, that, that potentially that could improve the way the system's working. Um, and I think, uh, again, looking at including in the legislation the importance of making patients aware of what the policies are and of the um, of, of privacy legislation. Now, Let's talk about patients themselves um, a bit more. Mm. What 
What do you want to advocate to patients or advise patients or introduce on behalf of patients um, the ways they can overcome the challenges for them in protecting their own privacy? Emily? Um, so <laughs> from my patient perspective, this is probably, you know, the group I obviously empathize with the most here. And I think it's hard because I know that when you are in an acute situation or when you're very ill, it's very hard to garner the energy to ask for what you need or, or even your family members to know, you know, how to be assertive or to, to ask questions. And I think you're so overwhelmed with everything that those are the times when you're not thinking, well, you're best. And so whenever I want to give advice to patients, I always want that to remember that that's the context they're in, you know, that it's not easy to be, I guess I could say, your best self when you are very ill and or you have a family member who's very ill. So as, as much as I know that's a big challenge, I do want to say that I think it's really important for patients to be assertive with their needs and to really, you know, actually ask for what they need and not assume that everybody knows in advance. So if I want to know, you know, what are my rights around privacy that I wouldn't wait for someone to tell me, I would ask and I would see where I could find that information or ask someone to direct me. Um, and that if something did happen where I felt that my privacy was breached, even if I wasn't sure if that was a rule or a regulation, so what we talked about before, for instance, that I was sitting, I've had the experience of sitting in the ER with a curtain barely closed beside me telling my tale to the ER doctor and hearing also the next person beside me tell their tale. And to me, that feels a bit like my privacy is being invaded or, or the privacy of the person beside me. And I never said anything, but maybe in those situations, really speaking up and, and having a voice and saying, you know, this didn't feel right. What can I do about that? Is that a right of mine to be able to feel um, more trusting in that situation? And also to follow up with that. So keep a record, submit a complaint, submit it to the system so that you know, somebody hears that voice. And so I think I always want to push for proactivity and to, um, to actually having uh, taking yourself seriously and respecting yourself enough that your voice matters, your experience matters. Um, it matters enough that you should let people know how you're feeling or if you're feeling that your privacy is being breached, that that, that is important that you um, let somebody know. And also to consider why privacy matters to you. I think sometimes what we miss out on is why does all this privacy stuff matter in the first place? Like we, we talk a lot, obviously, about there's ethics and, and morals behind this. And obviously, there's kind of an obvious reason. But I think there's lots of reasons that are maybe more subtle why if I'm not trusting my health system or my provider and I'm worried about my privacy, that that actually affects my care in very uh, important ways because I don't want to then, you know, tell someone my whole story or I want to withhold information or I just don't feel comfortable um, working with my health care provider and therefore I don't use the system to the best of its um, abilities. And so for the patient to kind of consider what, when I felt vulnerable there, when my privacy was breached, how did that make me feel and how did that affect my care? Because I think those are the things we really need to hear from patients so that we know what's important and so we know how to shape policies um, to address those things. That's another very strong point um, which I urge you to promote because it really does, what you've been saying really does matter. Now, I'm <laughs> going to ask you a, a tough one, um, and it's this. 
I'm going to describe a situation and I'm going to ask you mm. whether you've actually come across it and if mm. you have, what you think about it. This okay. is, applies to mental illness where um, a mom usually uh, with a young adult or maybe a late teenager with a serious mental health condition like mm -hmm. schizophrenia, uh, the mom recognizes that something called a psychotic episode may be mm -hmm. overcoming the mm -hmm. young adult, that's a warning signal that the voices or whatever it is that affect some of these people are taking over and urging the individual to do harmful things, maybe mm. to themselves or to other people. Now, the mom is in the best position then to be the early warning. Mm -hmm. Some mums on my show have explained how when they call the healthcare system saying, I want to get myself heard because I think something's going wrong. Mm. Uh, the healthcare system won't talk to them because mm -hmm. they don't have power of substitute decision making. Mm -hmm. That is the, the, the mom doesn't have it. Now, first mm -hmm. off, is this something you've heard about in your discussions? And in any case, what do you think about that, Emily? Um, I think that's such an important and uh, it's, it's something I've heard a lot, actually, and not just with mental illness, but as you said, you know, in any um, healthcare situation where the caregiver often has a view that nobody else has, um, not even the patient. I have suffered from depression and anxiety, and I have had to have my mom advocate for me when I was um uh, actually, uh, in, in my early 20s, you know, she was the one who actually sort of probably dealt with most of my healthcare providers. And, and without her ability to do that, I don't think I would have got the care I did. And so I think what you mentioned about caregivers being so key and yet not being necessarily allowed as a patient would be because of rules and regulations to, um, to be the voice or to have access to the information is actually a big barrier. And it's probably a challenge I could have brought up earlier on in the issues around um, for patients and for hospitals is that how do we create policies and legislations which allow flexibility enough that, yes, there's safeguards in place to not have, you know, the wrong person giving false information or getting information, but also the flexibility that in situations where, you know, logically, this is this is important that the mother can have a voice, or that she can access her child's um, health information. That in those situations, we have enough flexibility with policy um, that we can make the best decisions for the patients. And I think that's going to be a really key thing. And it's it's also um, an issue in general with in, uh, individualized care that we are tro moving towards in our healthcare system, which is shaping care around the patient. Well. Care is going to involve issues around privacy and information sharing and certain caregivers being involved um, in that sort of integrated way. And we're going to have to face much more the issue of substitute, as we say, decision makers now who maybe, you know, have these rights without being power of attorney. Um, and so I think you brought up, I don't have a clear answer for how we can fix it, but I think it's an absolute key focus that should be considered when looking at policy and legislation and improving care. I mean, just to say to you how very, very um, good it makes me feel to hear you saying what you've just said. That is to say, you're really... An, expressing understanding of this dilemma of people 
who are struggling to do their best in very, very mm-hmm. difficult situations. And all I'm going to say to you now mm-hmm. is, or at least I'll ask you, is this the kind of thing you would like to see Patients Canada take up as another issue to be tackled in regard to privacy? Emily? Absolutely, and I think that is why we include caregivers in our sort of definition of patients, and that's why we have people in our group. Um, I will say her name, Sarah Shirkani, is someone who works with us, and she does lots of great work around the importance of caregivers having a voice at the table in these policy discussions in looking at how can we improve care. You know, improving care for improving the experience of caregivers improves the experience for patients. It's no question. And I mean, I say this from experience too. My family were just as ingrained in the cause as it were, if the cause being, you know, my getting better as I was really Um, slightly perhaps in a different way, but not less. And I think that therefore these people should be at the table. They will also improve the outcomes of people um, in their, in their journeys. And so without a doubt, in my mind, Patients Canada should be there to also integrate the caregiver voice and to, and to give power to or to um, help promote and legitimize the, the caregiver voice as, as a One. key voice. Wonderful. Only interrupting you because of the tyranny yep, of time, time but we mm-hmm. are coming back. So this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Emily Nicholas. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Do you feel like you are alone in a desert? Often we feel alone with no place to turn for help and guidance in our troubles that always seem to be so overwhelming. Stop. Take an hour each week to tune in to Stream in the Desert with Dr. Rita Huang. Dr. Rita will share stories of people just like you, intended for you to find some inspiration in their problems and solutions. The most important thing is that you are not alone. Others have been in the same place. Share some time with us every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific, and on demand on the Voice America Variety Channel. What can you find on Get Real Radio? Well, quite honestly, who you really are. Join host James Robinson each week for a program designed to reveal more about yourself and your world through words of wisdom and profound guests. You'll discover more about the spiritual movement and how it can work with you and alert you to problems you may not be aware of. It will educate, titillate, and enlighten your mind. Get Real Radio is broadcast live every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. This could end up being the best time of your week. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. You'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. 
Do you want to know what's really going on these days? Well, Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in Washington, on Wall Street, and in our nation's legal system impacts your business every day. We're taking you on a behind-the-scenes tour of all of it. Each week, we bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers, lawyers, and business leaders. I'm Kevin O'Neill, and I'm your host as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join me for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Network each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Emily Nicholas. Our topic is protecting privacy of patients, Patients Canada perspectives. Emily, let's talk about what more you would like to see done. First off, what would you like to see done through Patients Canada to improve protection of privacy of patients? Emily? Um, I think I'm going to have to go back to this um, more collaboration. So that we shouldn't be doing anything sort of on our own or only patients deciding. I think what we want is to have Patients Canada integrated much more into the discussions and into the decisions which are being made um, about privacy. So if anything, I would like there to be more collaboration of Patients Canada with the stakeholders um, around, around patient privacy. Right. Now, what more would you like to see done by others and who would those others be to improve protection of privacy of patients? Um, so I think, again, if I consider the fact that I'm saying collaboration is, is key, I think there's many stakeholders that we probably leave out a lot of the time of these kinds that could help improve the protection, including um, the community services, which are now, you know, we're now looking at things like social determinants of health and, and the importance of patients um, having, you know, good uh, environments that they're living in, uh, social networks, community centers are getting involved. So I think including people who may have interest in having patient information, which would benefit the patient involved in the discussion, and actually having the people who can make these decisions invite those people into the discussions. So that as well as uh, if we can, I think it's important to highlight here the caregiver piece again, which is um, making sure that there is um that people feel that patients and caregivers and community groups are actually peers at the table in these discussions because I think a lot of the time it's to tick a box, truthfully, and I think historically we say we've had public consultation or we had a town hall or or um, a patient was present. That doesn't mean that voices were integrated into the decision. So looking at how we can make sure that everybody believes that all the voices are important and, and how we can uh, bring everybody to the table with an equal footing. Um, so, Yes. Emily, there's something, as you know, in healthcare called the circle of care. And mm. just for our audience, um, I would define that as the healthcare providers, professionals who are most directly involved with a patient at a particular phase of treatment or illness, um, they are called the circle of care. There may be others, 
so to speak, hovering in the background, but there's the circle of care, which is, it seems to me, is a useful concept. How far would you like to introduce the kind of things you're talking about in such a way that patients and their family caregivers are seen as part of the circle of care of privacy? Emily? Um, I think that's going to be very individual, in its, um, and this is probably the challenge that we face, but that having patients involved in defining who that circle of care is and the caregivers, because I think for some, it would include, for instance, financial advisors and lawyers, and for others, they would not feel that that was important. And, and in a sense, I think we have to look at ways that we can have a bit more flexibility and that I don't know if we're ever going to be able to define perfectly for everybody what that circle of care should be, but that we need to start looking at the challenge of defining, of creating policies which can have some flexibility in it and which can have patients be helping shape their own circle of care in terms of what's important to them with their health. Right. So that's a bit, a bit of a non-answer, I'm afraid. <laughs> no, no, not at all. It, it, it reflects the complexity of this mm. situation, but you're also saying that's something that's got to be faced in due course because it's important mm. in this notion of, of patients defining circle of care, particularly from the point of view of privacy. Now, my very last question to you is this. What's your message for patients who are concerned about the privacy of their own personal health information? What's your message for them, Emily? My message is to have a voice and to believe that your experience and your voice is important. So when I say have a voice, that could be to tell someone that something feels wrong or that you are worried about your privacy or to ask a question. It doesn't mean you have to know anything, um, but to actually believe that you should be able to have a voice in your care and in all um, aspects, so privacy included. I think a lot of the time patients think, well, it's probably no big deal or, you know, I'm just lucky to be getting care. I think it, in the Canadian system, we have a bit of a bit of the, I'm lucky to have public health care. You know, I shouldn't actually want good <laughs> care or, yeah. or I shouldn't ask for any special treatment. Um, and so I think we sometimes default to that very Canadian, I'm sorry, approach and not actually ask enough for what we want. And I don't mean in an angry way. And as I said, I don't believe that it should be patients versus the system, but in a way that says, hey, I think that um, that w my actual experience is going to affect my health, is going to affect, you know, how the healthcare system works. So I think it's important that you hear what I think. And also to consider, as I mentioned before, what do you think? <laughs> so for patients to do a bit more maybe reflection about if something did happen and they did feel um, that they're vulnerable or that their privacy was breached or they were afraid of that, to think what impact that has on their on their care um, and for the caregivers as well to consider that, you know, for their loved one. What does it feel like to be not allowed to have access? Right. Because right. these are the key things which the people will, that the other stakeholders need to hear. And unless we've thought those things through as patients, we can't um, do justice to the actual needs that we have and the actual important points, you know, we want to make. We, we do have a responsibility as well to think them through and to, to and then to voice them. So I think it's, an, and it's key then also that we actually give them to the system or that we, uh, right. we try to have a voice in the system if we want change. Right. So, so now, unfortunately, I'm going to have to butt in now, as I Please. do too much, but we're running out of time. But yeah, I want to say fine. something back to you, Emily. First of all, thank you. Thank you for sharing with us your own experience, your own insights and your own advice. 
and for family caregivers, for their family members, for patients, and for this work of bringing patients and their family caregivers into something like the circle of care related to privacy, the, thing, the very things you've been talking about, for the sake of all those people and others besides, I wish you very, very best things for the future. In other words, keep up the good work. Now, I want to say thank you to our listeners. With Family Caregivers Unite, we're starting a new research project called Qualitative Research, which this episode actually is part of. The idea is to find out what you, our listeners, think about important topics, such as the one we've just been listening to, and for you to share with us your experiences of healthcare. So please email me to hear more or to get involved. And if any of you would like to be a guest on my show, here's how to connect with me. Please email me at docg, that's D-O-C-G, at familycaregiversunite.org, um, and I'll be happy to respond to you. Our next episode will be protecting privacy of patients, mothers, newborns, and family caregivers. So please join us, same time, same spot on the internet, Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.